إن إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فقد قال الله وقوله الحق بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وكذلك جعلناكم أمة وسطا لتكونوا شهداء على الناس صدق الله العلي العظيم اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم the 143rd verse of Surah Baqarah, the first portion of that verse, will act as the base of our discussion moving forward in this ashra. And it reads that we have placed you or we have made you an ummatan wasata, a just nation, a middle nation. Not just for yourselves, so that what you can be, litokunu shuhada'a ala nas. So you could be witnesses. So you could be individuals that others can now emulate amongst the people, ala nas, amongst the people. As I mentioned last night to you, and last night was a preliminary discussion, a discussion to uh, prepare ourselves for this unique Muharram this year. And as I promised to you tonight and moving forward, we'll begin our actual content. The topic that has been advertised is a discussion on social justice. It's a massive topic. A topic that has very intricate and subtopics built in within it. And so I had to think long and hard before I actually thought about and agreed upon with myself, of course, that this topic was something I wanted to talk about. And given, of course, the fact that these months of Muharram and these days of the first 10 days of Muharram are ideal and are important for us to deliver a message that is relevant to today's situation, I looked around and, and, and naturally, you know, the situation in the U.S., this anti-racism movement in the U.S., it really has become global. The amount of phone calls I receive about the amount of injustice being done inside of our marriages towards the women. Sometimes, you know, our kids and our youth calling me up and saying the amount of injustice being done to them at home. It's important that we open up this topic of social justice. Now, a lot of you are accustomed to my style of the ashra. You know that I take one topic and I exhaust it across 10 nights or 12 nights. And I oftentimes use the example of a flight, which I use all the time and you're probably sick of hearing it. But the purpose of the flight is for the plane to fly. The plane, however, doesn't end up, doesn't start off in the air, right? It backs off from the gate, it finds a runway, taxis down the runway, gains speed, takes off, gains its elevation, cruises, and then descends towards its destination. The ashra that we're about to embark on is the exact same way. I have a thesis in mind, I have a certain destination I wanna take all of you in, and that is, and I'll tell you right now, as a spoiler alert, I'll tell you right now, that is the idea that we must now understand and be just individuals. We have a lot to say about other individuals, other families, other communities, police departments, governments, I don't know, this and that. But the reality is that we don't sometimes look inside of ourselves. Do we do dhulm in ourselves? Do we have this hidden in, uh, injustice inside of ourselves or not? And that's really where I want all of us to end up after this 10, 11 nights is to take a long, hard look at ourselves to find out, am I doing injustice to those around me? Am I doing injustice to my creator? Am I doing injustice to myself? 
And so this massive topic of adli ijtima'i, social justice, will naturally be broken down into bits and pieces like I like to do. And uh, there will always be a practical discussion that I will hold off until later on in the Ashra as we get closer to the day of our Ashura. That's when we begin our descent towards our destination. Before that, however, there has to be in the beginning of the Ashra, the next few nights, we have to have a little bit of a technical and some academic discussions on some of the terms and some of the concepts that we'll use a little bit later on in the Ashra. We'll talk about individual justice. We'll talk about divine justice. We'll talk about justice inside the homes, inside of our marriages. We'll talk about the fact that this insan, us, we have the capability of being the dhalim and the madhulum as well. This one creation of us, meaning we can be the oppressor and the oppressed as well. How? Inshallah, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But initially, in tonight's opening discussion of the Ashra, I want to make sure that all of us understand the concept of being part of a social movement. Social justice won't make sense until the social part does. And that you know, ignites a conversation about collectivism. <clears throat> Now, some of you may think that it's obvious, Sayyid. I said, I mean, collectivism, you know, obviously we're part of a social fabric, we belong to society. You'd be surprised how many individuals look at themselves as nothing but the individual. That it's me, myself, and I. Or it's the idea that me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so long as I am good with God, doesn't matter how everybody else is with me. <clears throat> how many times have I had uh, individuals call me about you know, an individual inside of their home, be it the father or be it whoever the case may be, and he is known to be a pious man inside the community. Nice thick beard, a little bit of a, of, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a sajda, a sign is on his forehead, you know, on the first line inside Jamaat Namaz, mashallah, he reads du'as very well. You know, it appears as if him and Allah are good, but when you ask the, the, the people inside the home, they'll describe him as the Fir'aun inside of our home, Malana. Which means this person sees himself as nothing but the individual. And this individualism that has riddled our homes and riddled ourselves and riddled our communities is not what the deen was all about. But I will talk about individualism a little bit later on in the Ashra. Tonight, we have to begin to speak about collectivism. And I want to tackle collectivism across three different points. The first thing is that if we look at the fiqh alone, Ahkam, Sharia, the jurisprudence dimension of the deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is presenting a very obvious principle that you are far better off to worship me collectively than you are individually. Yes, there is an, there is an infaradi dimension to the deen. There is an individual dimension to the deen, no doubt. So long as you are alive, you are to pray your own salat. I've had people call me and say, look, my mother isn't well. Is it okay if I pray her salat on her behalf? Is she alive? Yes, she is. No, she has to pray her own salat. That's a very individual aspect. If you are somewhere in the park, let's say, for example, on a family picnic, it's time for salat, and you have bottles of water to do your wudu with, someone else can't come and pour the water for you. You have to pour your own water. That's how much sometimes an individual dimension the deen there is. But that's nothing compared to the collective nature of the deen. 
And I say this because we live in an era where people actually believe that my actions with me and God don't affect anybody else. So I wish people would do what? Would mind their own business. When we start to understand that I belong to a greater good, a greater group, a collective group, that I also add to this health and the well-being and the strength and the advancement of the group, then every action I take, whether, whether it be behind closed doors, on social media, with my family, I'll think twice, three times, four times before I post something, say something, act on something, knowing full well that yes, we have to embrace the idea that my action in my own personal life absolutely affects other people as well. We can fight that or we can embrace it. But if you look at the fiqh, for example, I'll give you very simple examples. Very simple examples in the beginning of tonight's lecture. And that is the idea that, <clears throat> you know, you know that salat, salat that is read farada as opposed to read, uh, as opposed to that is read jamaat, for example, or ba jamaat in congregation. There's no comparison. Okay. It is... You know, some say 70 times the hadith says a reward of two people reading salat by jama'ah as opposed to one person reading farada by themselves. Okay, and as a side note, since I'm here, you know, in this pandemic era, in this era of quarantining and isolation, and you know, and and and, and we are alone right now with our families at home. A lot of you are working from home now full time. It's a good opportunity if your kids are home and both parents, if you have both parents at home and they're home working, let's say, for example, at 115, 124, 112, you take a break from all your work and as a family, now you read Jama'at prayer. Has immense barakat inside the home. This is a great opportunity in this pandemic era to establish such beautiful habits inside the home. <clears throat> but further along this point of Jama'at and worship, there's a story I want to tell from my time in Qom. <laughs> I still remember it years ago. It's been a while now, of course, since this happened, but the way that we used to schedule our classes, well, they would schedule for us, obviously, is that we would start early in the morning, okay? My first class, I remember, would be sometimes at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. would be my first class. And it would go all the way until the Adhan of Zuhr. At Zuhr, everything would break, okay? No classes, of course, you, you stop for Salat, Right? And they would always, you know, uh, schedule the hardest classes first thing in the morning. Okay? So, you know, logic, mantik, falsafa, philosophy, all the usulifik, all those Arabic grammar, all those heavy courses would be first thing in the morning because naturally that's when your, your, your mind is the freshest. As the day goes on, you get a little bit more tired mentally, so those classes at 4 or 5 p.m. aren't so difficult. Khair. I would finish my class at, uh, just in time for the Adhan al Dhuhr. I would grab one taxi from my school, from my madrasa, to the Haram of Bibi Basim Al-Qum. Salaamu Alayha. Uh, to reach Jamaat there. Those of you who have been there, I mean, Allah, inshallah, grant us that tawfiq to go and, and, and do this ziyarat, inshallah, in Iran. <clears throat> they have a massive hall that, do, they, that, that, that they perform Salatul Jumu'ah in. And... It must be a hall that, 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 can, that, can, that can host about, you know, thousands of people. Thousands of people. 
And I remember one specific Dhuhr prayer. I was there in time. I got my spot. I'm running, you know, the Adhan just finished now. They wait a little bit before they start the Iqamah, you know, and now the Imam al-Jamaat now comes and they begin Salat. And I must have been once one of, you know, thousands of people, literally thousands of people. To my left, to my right, there was as many people as the eye can see in the balcony were the women. Lots of people in this massive hall. Naturally, everyone now, the shops, the schools, everything closes for Salat. So I'm there and we begin our salat, Allahu Akbar, we go down into our first ruku, subhana rabbil azim wa bihamdi. And the moment that I go down into ruku now, and the entire jama'ah now goes down to ruku, from the back of the back of the back of this massive jama'at, you hear a faint voice that says, Ya Allah, Ya Allah. Signifying to the imam al jamaat that I want to join the jama'at, please extend the dhikr of ruku. So I can what? I can join the jamaat. <clears throat> it's one thing where you come into here, Masamin Center, and there's, you know, there's what? There's 10, 11, or 11 rows here, maybe maximum 100, a few hundred people. That was thousands of people. <clears throat> and he announces that this one individual now, I want you to what? Extend the Salat so I can join. And the hukam is that you have to extend. Once, once we, as the Imam and Jamaat, go down to Ruku, we listen for people screaming, Ya Allah, Ya Allah. Now the problem sometimes is that we hear the Ya Allah, but we hear nothing after. We have no idea. I mean, I can hear you, Ya Allah, you want to join, but did you join? Did you not join? Did you trip? Did you fall? Did you change your mind? We have no idea. So please, as a side note, if you're going to scream Ya Allah, also scream Allahu Akbar, so someone like me knows that you've joined. Otherwise, Subhana Rabbil Ala, Subhana Rabbil Alim, Subhanallah, 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 did you join? Did you join? No idea. This man from the, from, the, from the absolute back of the jamaat of thousands of people screams, Ya Allah, the hukam of the, uh, to the imam is extend the dhikr of ruku so this one person could join this jamaat of thousands of people. So all of us collectively, thousands of people, were in ruku for a little bit longer so this one individual can join the jamaat. Amazing, I found that to me was very profound. It's one, you know, you don't feel it when it's three, four people, 40, 50 people. We're talking about thousands of people. And the message is very beautiful. Allah doesn't even want this one person to miss this collective movement towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> Meaning what? He wants the entire jamaat. Please, delay your dhikr. Let him join you collectively. Together now you move towards me. And there's so many examples, thousands of examples in fiqh where Allah truly now is reminding us you belong to a greater good, you belong to a greater group. It's not just you and you alone. We have four mustahab walimas inside of our deen, four of them, right? Hajj, a new, a, a new baby, uh, a house, and a wedding, correct? These four. Not wajib, but mustahab. So for example, you get married, the nikah is done, ruksati happens, everything happens, the next week usually or the next day is, is, is the walima, and you invite you know, people you love and people you can't stand and people that you don't want to invite, everyone is there, mashallah, for your walima. And the only thing that you are asked to do is feed them. <clears throat> but we sit people down and make them go through three hours of of speeches and you know childhood friends and all these inside jokes that we don't get and we're looking at the at at, at the at the time we can smell the food but this guy won't stop talking anyways the walima is going on and on and on all you're asked to do is it's most up to what to feed
people. Now, I could sit there and say, God, this is my wedding. It's my hajj. It's my house. This is my baby. Why do I need to include everybody else? God's sending a beautiful message. If you want to thank me, if you want to show your gratitude for your hajj, for your home, for your baby, and for your wedding, then I want you to do what? Do a collective dinner. Invite everyone you know and feed them. That's the best way to thank me. Even though your hajj was for me, I want you to feed others. Thousands of examples like that. So first point about the idea of collectivism is the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he built the sharia, he built it with this in mind. Don't forget that you belong to a greater good. You belong to a greater group. You're not just you and you alone. It's not just you and by yourself. Imam Jafar al-Sadiq alayhi salatu wa salam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. He says the essence of ubudiyah, if we want to be subservient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and subservience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such an important, important stage to reach, and we won't understand subservience until we examine the story of shaitan. Very quickly, I'll get to the hadith in a moment. A lot to say, and I'm talking a mile a minute, I know. A lot to say tonight. <laughs> I can't fit it all into my time. Shaitan for 4,000 years worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 4,000 years before the creation of Adam. He was the envy of all the creations. Nobody worshipped Allah like shaitan did. Like shaitan did. He wasn't born shaitan, wasn't always shaitan. But the one hukum of Allah, the one command of Allah to bow down to Adam exposed his true belief inside of him. He was amongst those who were the disbelievers, the Quran says. 4,000 years. Where did that ibadat go? What's the point of all of that worship if it won't result in ubudiyah? So we understand that ibadah is one, ubudiyah is another. Worshipping Allah is one. Being subservient and submissive to God is another. Had he been subservient, subservient to Allah, he wouldn't deny the request of Allah to go down into sajda for this Adam. Anyways, back to the hadith. Imam Sadiq says four different relationships have to be examined and nurtured if you want to attempt to even begin to tread the path of subservience to Allah. One of them, of course, is me and Allah. It's not just about me and Allah. It's not just, you know what, as long as you uphold your fara'id and your wajibat, I don't miss one salat, I haven't made one namaz, qaza, mashallah, maulana, I haven't missed my hajj, I haven't missed my one, uh, my one fast, I do my mustahab fast on Mondays and Thursdays, that's great. But if I ask your wife, what kind of husband are you? If I ask your kids, do you provide them with the necessary needs to, uh, to grow and to, and, and to flourish, what will they tell me? So one relationship that Imam Sadiq says is between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course. The second one, between you and this dunya. And every one of these four relationships have seven associating principles to them. It's not an easy uh, hadith by any means. But look at, the, look at the idea that's not just about you and God or me and God. It's not just about the haq that Allah has over me, it's about the haq that others have over me as well. He says that it's you and Allah as one. You and this dunya as one. How do you view this dunya? Is this dunya the end all and be all? Is this dunya uh, something temporary? Or do you believe this dunya to be nothing but a finite perishing world? Number three, he says, you and your own a'mal. 
Examine your amal. Are you sufficient in your amal? Are you deficient in your amal? And number four, he says, you and others. You cannot tread the path of being subservient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, submissive to God, until you examine how you are with others. And others could be any, everybody, from your spouse, to your kids, to your parents, to your neighbors, to your communities, to whoever the case may be. I mean, this hadith by Imam Sadiq is saying that ubudiyat of Allah cannot be void of collectivism. The faster we believe that I belong to a greater good, the faster we'll understand the importance of being socially just to each other. The faster we'll stop and think of, you know, and, and, and maybe hesitate before sending that WhatsApp message or sending that email out or blasting somebody, let's say, on a voice note. Or voting to wear a mask, for example, because I'm not comfortable in my mask. This whole fight over a mask that we're seeing in, in, in the south of us in the US, I've seen fist fights online. Because someone says, can you fix your mask and go over your nose? That's somebody who believes, look, this is my right. I don't feel comfortable wearing a mask. It's uncomfortable for me. So while I roam the aisles of Costco, I'm going to be mask free. You avoiding to wear a mask is infringing on someone else's right. That only makes sense when you see yourself as a part of a social fabric. We're not alone in this world. The first point I want to make tonight when it comes to collectivism is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala built his sharia in what? In, in promoting the idea that you and your worship is absolutely attached to others. I give you examples of salat and walimas and so many things. That's point number one. Point number two is that if you look at the Quran, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now in various verses in the Quran talk about the fact that there is a group that is a barrier for you on your path towards me. Let me give you a few examples. Surah Anfal talks about the idea. Alladheena kafuru ba'dahum awliya'u ba'd. The kuffar, the disbelievers, are friends of each other are awliya of each other. They work together. They're connected together. Okay? And I'll get to my point in a moment. That's one verse. The second verse from Surah Tawbah. Al-munafiquna wal-munafiqatu. Ba'dhuhum min ba'dh. They work together. They work together for what? Ya'maruna bil-munkar. Ya'maruna bil um, they actually enjoin the evil and they forbid the good. Who are these hypocrites? They work together to what? To dismantle the system of faith. Dismantle the system of goodness. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduce us to these types of groups in the Quran? To let us know that if you as, a, as an individual want to now uh, uh, tread your path towards me, elevate towards me, there are barriers, there are mawana'ah, there are roadblocks that will stop you from getting to me. And those roadblocks are groups of disbelievers and groups of hypocrites. Now you could be an egotistical individual and think, you know what, me one fard Asa Jafri can handle this entire group of the munafiqeen, this entire group of the kuffar, or 
I can join myself with a collectivism and the group of the other faithful and now together now attempt now to get past this barrier. If the kuffar are together, if the hypocrites are together, the believers are also together. It's up to us now to jump on that ship. Imam Ali, alayhi salatu wasalam, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad, has a very profound tradition. And the imagery is beautiful. Talks about a sheep and a wolf in a very famous tradition. But it fits here. That when a wolf wants to attack a sheep or a flock of sheep, it looks for the what? The lone stray sheep. The one that kind of, you know, steered off away from the flock. Because his margin of, 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 of success is higher if he was now to attack a lone sheep, as opposed to him attempting to take on the entire flock. Imam Ali says, shaitan is no different. When shaitan wants to misguide one of us, he sees which one now abides by the individualism principle, that me, myself, and God, and goes in and whispers to him, attacks him, does waswasa to him, as opposed to somebody who, who, what? who joins themselves to the jama'ah, who joins themselves to a community, who now works together as one group and one family towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Up and down the Quran, minal dhulimati ila nur, minal nur ila dhulimat. Dhulimat is the jam and the plural of dhulm, of darkness. And nur is one nur, the singular light. Allah time and time again now couples these two to let us know that, look, you, one group of believers, you, a collective group, you're one nur, you're one light against various avenues of darkness. But if you hang on and you connect yourself to this one light, you're able not to conquer all the various avenues of darkness. We have to move away from the idea that what I do is my business. If I take off my hijab tomorrow and post my newfound, uh, uh, my newfound beauty on social media, it's none of your business. If I decide now to, you know, to, uh, to remove myself from the deen and I, and, and, and I post something on social media that I have denounced my religion and someone calls me out for it and the response is what? None of your business. Between me and God, it's not between you and God. It's not between you and God. If there is somebody, if there is some youth, some 15, 16 year old fighting, fighting the fights of today, sitting on the fence of the deen, not knowing what to do, is this the right path? Am I able truly to go down the path of Allah in this difficult world, in this pandemic world? And they see a post from somebody who just took off everything from the deen, and they seem so free and so happy, posting and, and gloating about the fact that I'm so free now from the chains of Islam, then that's going to have an impact on that impressionable mind of a 15, 16-year-old. And I'm sorry, we can either sit there and fight the fact that we are ambassadors of the deen, custodians of the religion today, or we can embrace it. And embrace it as if we are what? Individuals that are chosen for this path. You are the greatest nation, the Quran says. Amongst all of the men, you, the believers, are the greatest nation. What makes you the greatest nation? The people who enjoyed the good forbid the evil, they believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
What makes you the, the greatest nation is not your individual salat, your individual tawaf, your individual fasting. No, you collectively now pull people towards good and you avoid them for evil. And you collectively now believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what makes you the greatest nation. If someone is to break off from that and say, look, it's me, myself, and God. They've done themselves an injustice, guys. Because we live in a society that preaches and, 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 and shoves this individualism down our youth's throat. No one has any right to tell you. Faith and belief is a very individual concept. It's a very personal one. It's my faith to God. It's very sacred to me. What I do, what I don't do shouldn't matter to people. They should you know, worry about their own belief. Don't worry about me. It's not the case at all. Don't buy that. Because eventually now what ends up happening is you become your own idol. You become a small G God inside of you. And you, become, you, be, you begin worshipping that form of the deen that you yourself has come up with. Why? Because you're an individual. You're standalone. You're by yourself. Your thoughts now are not being anchored by the collective group. So now we, ha we end up having this dini khayali, as the books refer to. This I believe, I think, if you ask me, in my opinion, Baba, I'm sorry, you're not qualified to give an opinion on the deen. With all due respect, <laughs> just like I'm not qualified to sit there and give you, you know, uh, I don't know, a, 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 a second diagnosis of somebody's disease. I'm not. The second point is the idea that Allah up and down the Qur'an presents this notion that you, as one group, have to be unified to remove the various barriers that are there to pull you off the path. Shaitan went from, went, went from shaitan to shayateen very quickly. Allah refers to the ashab of shaitan, the companions of shaitan, the awliya of shaitan, the friends of shaitan. Absolutely. There's armies upon armies and levels upon levels of shaitan that are stopped, that are on what? Siratikal mustaqim. He promised Allah, I will not stand on anyone else's path, I will stand on your path. In Surah Hijr, he actually adds the pronoun of the kaf, sirat kal mustaqim. Just in case you're confused, God, he says, I'm going to stand on your specific path. Not the path of the casino, not the path of the clubs, not the path of this. No, those guys are already in my back pocket. The ones that, that, that attempt to travel on your path, I'm going to sit there and ambush them on that path. Not just me, my army. Now we could sit there and say, oh, Milana, I'm good. I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know what's wrong. I know what's good. I can be okay. Right? So, so today's millennials will have this ego about them sometimes. It's okay. You know what? I'll go to the club with my boys. I'll wait outside in the parking lot. And when they come out, I'll just kind of drive home. It's okay. Meanwhile, the base from inside the club is hitting the heart so much, the heart is literally moving back and forth. And now you're asking yourself at 17 years old to not jump there on the middle of the dance floor, hip, hip, hooray. No, you're not. I'll go, I'll, let's say, I'll, I'll watch an Indian Desi movie, but I'll just kind of plug my ears when it comes to the songs. Or I'll mute it, or I'll forward it. But Milana, you know, half the plot is, is, is inside the songs of the, of the movie. I have to watch the song to know who this person is and why all of a sudden she's crying for him. So the song is, 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 is essential in the whole experience of the movie. 
I'll go to the bar with my, with, with, with my work friends, but I'll have orange juice and they'll have whatever the case may be. You're placing yourself in the middle of the maidan of shaitan by yourself as one individual. You are that standalone sheep and the wolf is thirsty looking for you. We can't continue to be believe that I can, I can accomplish what I want to accomplish individually. The deen never came as, uh, for the individual. The, the deen always came out, came down as a jama'ah, as a group. This not only extends to, the, the, uh, to, uh, to Muslims and believers. At a broader sense, humanity now, we belong, you know, and, and, and the third point that I'm going to have in about a moment, I will, you know, I'll back this up with, with, with some Quranic verses, but the idea that we absolutely, we belong to a greater group. When the Imam Ali talks about your equal, uh, your equal in um, uh, your brothers in faith and your equals in humanity, talks about small circles and larger circles. So two points so far. One is in inside Allah's Sharia, there's collectivism. Second, in the Quran, there's up and down the Quran, there's collectivism. You are a group of believers. You have to now remove the group of munafiqeen and the kuffar. And the third group is collectivism in creation, in creation. If we stop and realize and look around us in this cosmos, we see that everything intricately is interdependent on each other. Surah An'am, beautiful, beautiful verse that to, to me was very profound. It says, مَا مِن دَابَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا طَائِرٍ يَطِيرٌ بِجَنَاحَيْهِ إِلَّا أُمَمًا مِثْلُكُمْ You will not find an animal on the ground, دَابَةٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ Nor will you find a bird in the sky, بِجَنَاحَيْهِ Flapping its two wings, except إِلَّا أُمَمٌ مِثْلُكُمْ Except the fact that they are they belong to the same genus as you do, the same group that you do, you the insan. What connection do I have with an animal on the, uh, on the ground and some bird flying in the sky? What possible connection do I have? What is the Quran trying to tell us? We are equally created, but we are not created equally. Always remember that. When we look at the grand scheme of creation, we are equally created. But no way are we created equally. The collectivism in creation that Allah is trying to show us with this one verse, that the animal on the ground, the bird in the sky, and you belong to the same genus, the same umam. Umam actually comes from ummah, the same group. What is that group? All of you now collectively are a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. يُسَبِّحُ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Everything in the heavens and the earth, thus tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, the rice that we have for dinner, <laughs> the grain of rice on, 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 on my plate that I have for dinner, do we stop and think, how did this grain of rice come to me in my plate? It's on my spoon. I, I'm about to digest. I'm about to, I'm about to eat this, this, this spoon of rice. How did this rice get to me? How many elements were involved to get this rice to me? From the farmer who was growing the rice to the son that gave that rice energy, 
right? To the person now, of course, who collects the rice, who sells it to the store, to my father or my mother who goes and buys the, buys the, uh, the, the rice, takes out a cup, washes it three, four times, make sure the water is not murky anymore, puts it on boil, right? It boils, make sure, you know, you're sitting there with one grain. Is it done yet? Yeah, it's done. Gra uh, 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 drain the rice, dumb the rice. I have no idea what dumb is in English. Dumb the rice, cover it. In two minutes, close the stove and your rice is ready. And now it's on a plate and you eat it. Everything from the farmer to the sun to the ground to the storekeeper to my parents to the car to the gas to the water to the stove to the pot to the plate to the fork to me, all of that for one grain of rice that I digest. That's not interdependence. Absolutely. That's collectivism in creation. That's collectivism in the universe. We can't deny that. To remove ourselves now, say, no, I'm independent. I am who I am. What I do doesn't affect anybody. If I throw a piece of litter, if I stomp on an ant, for example, the Holy Prophet would prep his people that when you go to war in that part of their land, go for a certain purpose. Don't burn their crops. Don't hurt their animals. Don't chop down their trees. There's collectivism in creation. Everywhere you look, there is an interdependence in the movement of these cosmos designed intricately by a wise and an intelligent and unlimited creator. One of the first dalils that we have in Tawheed and the proof of God is Burhan in Nazm. That where you see order and intelligent design, there has to be a designer. Where there is Nazm, there is a Nazim. And nobody can deny it. With half an aql can't deny the fact that this is an intricately designed universe. Where everything that I do, even me sitting here right now live, coming to you in your living rooms, a lot of factors have to be in place for me to be here. It's not just me. So three points when it comes to the idea of a social fabric. Social justice will not make sense until social does. Until we understand that I belong to a collective nature. And the further we remove from that collectivism, the more we're going to dig ourselves deeper and deeper in the ground. And the last point I want to make in the Messiah, and that is that this, in, in this entire idea of jam gira'i, as they call it in Farsi, collectivism, as opposed to farad gira'i, individualism, that ultimately we are, and this is a very crucial point that I want all of us to understand, including myself, especially myself, that we belong to that one creator. And our entire life, if I can summarize it in one sentence, we are here in this world of 65, 75, 115 years, inshallah, of life in this world to actualize the potential that Allah placed inside of us. That entire conversation with the angels where Allah ends off by saying, When the angels couldn't understand why you created this, this human being who's, 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 who's no good, but all he can do is you know, shed blood and corruption and fitna and facade. Allah says, wait a second, you don't know what I know. There's a potential inside this human being to be my khalifa, I want this khilafat, I want this representation on earth of me. Why that is not my topic. It's outside the scope of my discussion. 
But that Khilafat, that representation, is not just one Adam that was created 1,400, 1,500, 8,000, 10,000 years ago. It's collectively. We, as every human being, have a role to play in this representation of Allah on this earth. That means we must, in our success, represent Him to the best of our ability, individually and as a group. What do I mean by that? Let's look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very carefully. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you know, this is basic Tawheed 101. I know many of you understand this, but just humor me for a moment here. His qualities are not independent of his essence. My qualities are independent of my essence. Okay? What I mean by that is that as my qualities, as me, as Asa Jafri's qualities change, I don't cease to exist. If one day I become the complete opposite of what I was yesterday, I'm still here in this world. It's not like I'm a different version of myself or I might change or all of a sudden I'm a different creation. No, I'm still Asa Jafri. I've changed. People change all the time. Hopefully, no. They grow, they become better, more mature, or they regress into something worse. We fluctuate in our, in our qualities. Some days we're patient, some days we're not. Some days we're educated, some days we're ignorant. Some days, you know, we're driven, some days we're not. Some days we're tired, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't change. We're not version 2.0, 8.6, 10.2. No, we're not. The exact same person we are, but our qualities have constantly now fluctuated. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like that. His essence are his qualities, his qualities are his essence. His sifat are his zat, his zat are his sifat. What's my proof? Come to the Quran. The Quran says, وَلِلَّهِ لَأَسْمَاءِ الْحُسْنَى فَأَدْعُوهُ بِهَا Oh my goodness. What a beautiful, one small little sentence is such a beautiful lesson for us in this idea of collectivism. Why is it so important that we come together as one social group? Because as one collective group, it's the ideal reflection of God himself. What do I mean by that? This verse says in Arabic, The great beautiful names of, uh, are for Allah. The lam in front of Allah is lamin milkiyat in Arabic grammar, meaning what? That whatever follows Allah is the exclusive property of Allah. Walillahil hamd, praise is only for Allah. Walillahil shukr, shukr, thankfulness is only for Allah. That lam in front of Allah. Okay, I don't want to bore you guys, but stay with me. Walillahil asma'il husna, all these beautiful names is only for Allah. So call him by those names. That's what the English mafhum is. But we look at the translation and the various pronouns used in this verse, there is a very beautiful hidden message inside. The ending of this, of this half of a verse is biha. Biha is a singular pronoun, a female uh, gender that points to the idea of one single female. Right? Names in Arabic have a female gender to it. Okay, what I mean by that is, for example, uh, you know, in the Arabic language, the sun has a female pronoun to it. Why that is? It's not an Arabic grammar class, right? Names, for example, has a female pronoun to it. But if you look at the way the Arabic is laid out, and follow me for a second, the Arabic, the pronoun used at the end of the sentence is a singular pronoun. 
So literally what it means in English is it sounds very weird and very off. All the great names of uh, are for Allah, meaning Allah, all the great names belong to Allah. So call him by that name. Wait a second now. Where did those names become singular? Why is it Asma, the jam of Ism in the beginning of the verse? And later on now, the pronoun is a singular pronoun. It should say, it should say that all the great names are Allah, so call him by those names. That's not how the Arabic grammar is laid out. The Arabic grammar is laid out what, that, that says Beha, with that name. It should say Behema, with those names. It doesn't say those names. It says that name. Is it a mistake? Of course not, it's not a mistake. The purpose is that Allah, by this own little short verse, is saying that yes, while the names are many, the reality is one. I'm using a singular pronoun to describe my names to tell you that while there are different aspects of my existence, in reality, I'm one collective reality. And there are opposite, absolute opposite names of Allah. In one area, the Quran says, Inna la yuhibbul mutahhirin. Allah loves those who are pure. Another area, Allah says, on those who lie and deny Allah. Oh my goodness, removing the mercy of Allah is, a, uh, you know, is part of his wrath. Loving those who are clean is part of his, his, his mercy. I've made mercy wajib upon myself. The same Allah talks about him removing mercy from one group and giving mercy to another. Those are polar opposites. And all of these polar opposite names that, re, that, that, that exist in Allah's thought and essence are referred to as one reality inside the Quran. Beha, call him by that one name, that one reality. Meaning although, he, although there are various different levels that exist in Allah in terms of his qualities and names, he is a collective reality, one collective reality. If we want to reflect that of Allah's Tawheed, we also have various people inside of our society. Different levels, different genders, different colors, different ages, different capacity, different levels of knowledge. But all of us should be what? One collective group moving towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we begin to remove this disease of individualism from ourself, we'll start to see myself as a greater good. So my pain becomes their pain. Their right becomes my right. My journey becomes their journey. Their failure becomes my failure. Their success becomes my success. I'll end with one hadith and then Masaib. I've already gone over my time, I'm sorry. The Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajil farajuhum, in a very famous tradition, talks about, you know, gives the example of a boat. Imagine that you are on a boat with a group of people in the middle of the ocean, in the deepest part of the ocean, and halfway through your journey, when you reach that deepest part of the ocean, one guy on your boat grabs an axe and begins to now chop away at the back of the boat. Now you have one of two options, right? You can sit there and say, oh, look at what that guy's doing. Oh, okay, good luck, buddy. Hope it goes well. Or you can say, look, what are you doing? Are you okay? If that hole gets big enough, water gets in and we're going to sink. He says the boat is Islam. The people on the boat are the Muslims. Everyone's actions affects the other person.
But in this world where we are all screaming for social justice, it has to be a collective group. We have to stop, we have to break down the walls. And if that means that you look at somebody as a bare minimum human being, then so be it. Even if they don't share your ideology, your faith, your gender, your lifestyle, they're a human being. But if we start to think to, as, as me, myself, and I, or me, myself, and God, we're removing ourselves from the collective system, and we are prey for shaitan to come and attack. And there's no short of a shayateen here at all. So my brothers and my sisters, tonight, as an opening lecture to our social justice series, we have to understand the importance of being part of the collective nature of existence and creation. From the Sharia, through the Quranic verses, through creation. All of it to reflect what? The thought and the essence and the asmal husna of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you examine the, 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 the sacrifice of Abba Abdullah al-Husayn in this journey in, 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 in towards Karbala, we understand this notion and understand this reality that he went through a very difficult journey to get to the plains of Karbala. It's the night of the second of Muharram. And for some people, the second of Muharram has already passed. And as we know, this is the night, this is the day, this is the second of Muharram where Imam Hussein now arrives on the plains of Karbala. Last night I spoke about him leaving Medina. And tonight I want to speak about him arriving in Karbala. Imam Hussein is on the horse and is on his Uljana, and they arrive after being detoured by Hur into this desert land. He arrives on the plains of this desert land and his horse stops, the books say. Every attempt Imam Hussein had to move the horse, he wouldn't move. The books say that Imam Hussein changed his horse seven times. All seven of them would not move from where this land is. And every time I hear about this horse not moving, I think about another moment in this tragedy of Karbala where the horse also wasn't moving. Asri Ashur, the only men left in the, in, the, in the tent of Imam Hussein are Imam Sajjad and Abba Abdullah himself. After, after saying his alvida and khulafis and goodbyes to the women and Bibi Zainab now mounts her brother onto the horse, he begins now to attempt to ride into the Maidan of Karbala, but his horse stops, his horse doesn't move. The only other time in this history, as far as I have read, where the horse refuses to move is this moment. Imam Hussein now begs with the Zuljana, on Asri Ashur now, about to give his life. A Zuljana of mine, I know you're tired. I know from morning to now you have carried mayat with me, body after body. Just one last zahmat, drop me in the maidan of Karbala and your zahmat is over. The horse wouldn't move. He pleaded with the horse, please, he wouldn't move. The horse now begins now to lower his head, tears rolling down, 
his face, almost as if, if he could speak, he would say, Mola, I'm not tired. I will serve you until my last breath, and I would love to take you to the Maidan of Karbala, but your four-year-old Sakina is clutching onto my legs, saying, where are you taking my Baba? Second of Muharram, Imam Hussein Zuljana also doesn't move. Imam Hussein gets off the horse, summons the Bani Asa tribe. Tell me about this land. What do you know about this land? Do you know the name of where we are right now? One man says that this is known as Nainawa. One man says Shatul Farat. An old man from the back comes forward, says Mawla, our Ajdad, our forefathers, called this place Karbala. Imam Hussein heard Karbala. Abbas, pitch up the tents. Abbas set up the women. This is where my Ali Akbar will taste his sword. This is where my Qasim will be trampled. This is where my Ali Asker will have his thirst quenched with a three-pronged arrow. At that moment now Imam Hussein does something very ajib to me. He summons the men of the Bani Asa tribe. He says, oh men of the Bani Asa tribe, there's going to be a battle here. Our lives will be killed. If you can, please bury us. Wash our bodies wrap our bodies, bury our bodies, and then he puts up a partition and talks to the women of the Bani Asa tribe. If your men are not able to bury us, all of you collectively now, dig one massive grave and simply place our bodies inside that grave. Then Mola went so far to summon the small Masum children of the Bani Asa tribe. He picks them up, he kisses them, he hugs them. Are you Muslims? Yes, we are. Do you believe in the Shahada? Do you recite the Kalam? Yes, we do. That Muhammad that you recite in the Kalama is my grandfather. My name is Hussein. There's going to be a battle here. If your mothers and your fathers are not able to bury us, then you pick up the small cock of Karbala in your small masum hands and simply drop it on our bodies. Why, Mullah, the need to go to three different groups? Make sure you bury us. Make sure you bury us. Make sure you bury us. When someone dies in our community, it's a given that the first thing we're going to do is arrange the burial rites. It does, it, 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 you know, the, 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 the household doesn't need to call us and say, please, can you make sure you bury my husband, bury my mother, bury my wife, bury my child. It's a given. This is the grandson of the Holy Prophet. If anyone has the right to be buried and respectfully, it's Imam Hussein. But maybe he understood that after Asri Ashur, when Shumar bin Dujoshin separates my head from my body, Umar bin Saad will announce for 10 different horses to come and trample the body of Hussein. Change the hooves, put on stronger hooves on your horses, one by one now, five horses on one side, five on the other, Umar bin Sas is on my command, the horses from the right went to the left, the horses from the left went to the right, the last mal'oon to trample the body of Hussein narrates that by Allah I heard the cracking of the ribs of Hussein, maybe he knew that my body will be left on the hot plains of Karbala, for three days, no ghusl, no kafan, no burial. Sayyallamu alladheena dhalumu ayyamul qalibihim yanqalibun inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajoon. We ask you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept this qaleel or ibadat inshallah. We ask you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us that tawfiq to understand our wazifa and our responsibility during this time, we ask you, Allah, to weaken the hands of the enemies of humanity. 
We ask you, Allah, to, to support the oppressed all over the world. And finally, Allah, everything that we do is so, is so, is, is so that we are worthy for the arrival of the Imam of our time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.